0: Hi, it's Lisa Birnbach. The interview you're about to hear took place before the quarantining of New York. I still think it's relevant. It's about baking, which is something you can do to feel good about and provide for people during this very strange time. I hope you enjoy it. You're listening to Five Things with Lisa Birnbach. Hi, it's Lisa Birnbach. Welcome to Five Things That Make Life Better. Today, we're going to talk about the pleasures and the triumph that is called rage baking, a new form of therapy and self-soothing, the transformative power of flour, fury, and women's voices with the authors of this wonderful new combo cookbook and essay book. It's like a cookbook and a reader. And my guests today are Kathy Gunst, who's on the phone from Los Angeles, and Catherine Alford, who's right here in front of me and a Purell, the crap out of herself. (laughs) And (laughs) welcome to this uplifting podcast, Love in the Time of Cholera, Baking in the Time of Coronavirus, and Trump. Welcome, ladies. It's great to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we are going to talk about how to get started, if you're not a baker, how to get started rage baking after we break for this commercial message. We'll be right back. Okay, and we're back. So did you guys, if you don't mind my being so familiar.
1: Did you guys coin the term rage-baking? This is Kathy. Absolutely not. Uh, The term rage-baking goes back, I mean, in many ways it goes back centuries. Um, You read through history about women during the Revolutionary War, when they did not have the right to vote, who made election cakes, these very dense fruit-filled cakes that they would make to celebrate voting and elections, even though women didn't have the right to vote, they were in their kitchens and they were baking. We hear about rage baking and the form of baking um, as an expression of rage, anger, frustration through the civil rights movement. We hear about it in the past 10, 12 years in terms of um just lots and lots of women using their frustrations, their rage, and their anger in the kitchen baking. And that
0: does not include poisoning bad, toxic men? <laughs> or does it? You said it, yes. not I- <laughs> Is this an American concept, mostly, as far as you know?
2: No, I don't think so. I've actually, you know, when as we've been working on this book, we heard about people in Europe who were using rage baking as a way to um, adjust to trauma from the second world war I mean the whole act the transformation of ingredients pounding rolling doing all of that is a very cathartic um, expression and women have always turned to what are you know in quotes, the domestic arts um, as a way of creativity um, and to express themselves. And kitchens have always been safe places for women. Women get together, whether it's making tamales and sharing family stories or gossiping or expressing, you know, some of the, the realities that women have to deal with. It's so interesting to me that women would do rage baking. It's
0: sort of, in a way, so ironic and a little self-defeating because they're still relegated to the kitchen. They're making this cake in protest, but they're still feeding their... Yes, and cakes... The patriarchy. They
2: are, but cakes are also really these signs of celebration. And we mark so many parts of our lives with cakes and other baked goods, like birthdays and weddings and, you know... uh, And wakes. And And, wakes, exactly. It's like that having those... And cakes and baked goods are very communal. So, like, if you make a cake, you share it with your community. And what we saw so much when we were working on this um, project is people use the top of their cakes as basically a palette for messages, (laughs) you know, of like...
1: Fu, there's fu,
2: yeah. yeah, and it's like we see this all over the place. So there's there's a wink and a nod in there that it's kind of amusing, but also purposeful. Well, remember in the I think it was the
0: '70s, there was a new kind of business in erotic bakery, and people right, were baking right. boobies and tushies and stuff. And other parts and I guess that made me think you could do a voodoo cake couldn't you? Oh absolutely. Is that a thing? <laughs> oh I think Any so. Any thoughts on that one? <laughs> Anybody in particular? Yeah well if you like, if you like Cheetos or,
2: or you know the There's, color there orange. Are, and there definitely are many kind of crazy ways that you can express yourself through a cake. Right. And that's why we have this great recipe in the book called No More Sheet Cake. No More Sheet Cake. I know. That's
0: the
1: next one. Now, for me, the. Can I just say something, Lisa? Yes, Kathy. I I wanted to say one of the messages of this book is very much not. Like oh, ladies, if you get back into the kitchen and start baking, <laughs> yes. everything will be, be fine, and you will feel calm, and all will be well. This is not the message of the book. I'm um, glad you pointed
0: <laughs> that out. This is not. Yeah. This is not like some tonic, and then you can put on your corset and wait for honey
1: to come not home. Not in the exactly. least. Exactly. <laughs> not in the least. Slippers ready and the cigar out. No, we're not talking about that. We, you know, for me. Um, my actual rage baking began during the Kavanaugh hearing as I was watching these so-called hearings and listening to the way that Dr. Blasey Ford was speaking and how nobody was really listening and I found myself in my kitchen night after night during that week during the fall of 2018 it is already just baking and baking and what I found was I found that the baking, the science of baking, the promise of transforming ingredients like butter and sugar and flour into something kind of greater than its parts was very grounding for me. It didn't erase sort of the erosion of democracy in the country that I was witnessing. It didn't make any of it better, but what it did was it grounded me, and that became kind of a conversation that I started having with Catherine and with other women who were saying, I'm doing the same thing.
0: Well, that is a great point and beautifully expressed. And I think that the fact that baking is much more scientific and precise than cooking, for example, or other quote unquote domestic art means that you can be motivated by anger, but then you have to sort of leave that aside And focus on measuring the ingredients and buttering the pan and preparing the proper conditions for this cake to rise or the cookies to spread or whatever. It's
2: very much of a practice, you know, and people will say, you know, the practice of meditation or yoga or the repetition of that. um, It is really very grounding. And then there's that like that pause you put all the ingredients together, and then you put them into the oven. And kind you, of like election night. Yeah. You're, you're waiting. waiting. Yes, <laughs> yes. You wait. You do your vote. And you're, as, praying. Yeah, you're, you're praying. You're praying. Yeah. Or fingers and toes and eyes crossed. And then, as you said, this is a book about recipes and then essays. So our then goal... Then you can read an essay. At read an essay and be inspired or laugh or be. some of them are very um, poignant of stories of their families or ones that make you laugh. Like there's a wonderful essay um, by Tess Rafferty that's called The uh, Revolution Will Be Catered and you cannot read that without laughing. It's absolutely true. You do get
0: a sense of sisterhood in this book. I mean, in addition to the essays, in addition to the recipes, there's a sense that once you open the book and start reading, and you can also just read it and not bake you feel like you're
1: part of a movement well, well there are uh, there's a lot of different women's voices in yes. here and they range from probably 30 years old to Betty Fussell a wonderful woman yes. part of the food community for years who I think is 94 now women from all over the country women who represent all different facets of the country and one of the things for me um, is that when we started this book I was so angry I was so upset I had so much rage and after working with all these brilliant women who we really respect women who are at the top of their fields whether they're musicians or Hollywood writers whether it's Jennifer Finney Boylan yes Who's a trans woman, or
0: whether it's uh, Cecile Richards, who Mm -hmm. was the head of Planned Parenthood? I mean, they're very accomplished group of very much. And Jennifer Boylan is is a professor. Yes, I don't mean to say she's just
2: no. She's a writer for the uh, a columnist for the New New York York Times, Times, and and I I am like and she's brilliant. She's brilliant, absolutely brilliant.
1: Yeah, and what I was going to say is that they all these voices by the time we were almost done with this project, I had a sense of hope. And I love your word of sisterhood and of women coming together and using their voices in and out of the kitchen to try to deal with some of the trauma and issues that continue to plague women we we seem to take two steps forward and three steps back over and over again
0: yes and if we're women and democrats we double that double that recipe yes yes and know? that's
2: actually one of the one of the things of this book was that we wanted it to be a pro social project so mm-hmm. a portion of the proceeds are going to go to Emily's list
0: oh that's so great and do you know
2: what it stands for yes
0: i
1: do Earl it's something yeast. Early money is yes. like, like yeast. yeast. There you go. And it turns out the woman who started Emily's list was once upon a time a baker in Maine, which is my home state. So the the symmetry, the synchronicity of it all, I mean, it's, yeast, it's a really beautiful thing. For, yeah.
0: And so we it, and, and of course we have to rage bake election night just for Sarah Gideon's sake. Just you got for, it to you get rid it. of Susan Collins.
1: Um, we, we are working hard for Sarah Gideon. yes replace Susan
0: we Collins. all are now I I am not a baker because um, because it's hard <laughs> <laughs> and I don't do if I'm not good at something, I don't like to do it. but yeah, yeah. I have a stepdaughter who is a baker. And I, um, we together made the
2: Mexican chocolate cake. The, uh, the Patty Leche. Patty the, uh, um, the uh Almond chocolate.
0: and chocolate Leche cake. Yes. And let me just yep. say, when I say we made it, mm. I'm going to say she really made mm. it. But I was the <laughs> Sue. I was the Sue it's to delicious. her chef. It is? Mm. Oh, okay, I'm trying it's
2: it now. It's rich. It's chocolatey. Oh, you got it there. Great. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, and God. that little bit of almond in there which gives it the texture and oh it's delicious it's actually
1: very That's good a great, but you know Lisa I want to say something because as women I think we can as humans we tend to divide ourselves up as either we're bakers or mm-hmm. we're not bakers right? Mm-hmm. and you know this is my 16th cookbook and none of them have been about baking so if you had asked me a few years ago are you a baker Kathy I would say I'm okay you know but I'm more of a shoot from the hip savory kind of yeah me too but the truth is that there are recipes in this book i have a friend who has a three-year-old and he's like i want to get her rage baking at an early age so (laughs) they made ruth reichel's oatmeal cookies. oh they did have five ingredients and they literally take about 10 minutes and they're flawless they're gluten-free they have this delicious crispy texture and for anyone that says I'm not a baker, I would urge you to start with that recipe and, and it's move in the on front. Isn't it? it's, the fir- it's the it's first the first recipe one. in the book. Right.
2: Yeah. Okay. Well as I will. for a non baker, you did an awesome job. Thank you. But- and I and actually this whole idea that Kathy's talking about of you know, you're either sweet or savory, um, is definitely a thing that happens in professional kitchens. And generally this was my experience, and I write about it in the book. Like, if you're a dude, you get to, like, all the knives and fire knives. knives and all that sort and of stuff. And and, 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 and tattoos. The, and, yes, yes. And women and chefs are like, I was like, you're going to be the pastry chef, right? And I was like, well, no, that wasn't my first, you know, impulse. But then I sort of got pushed into that direction. And on the long run, I was better off because I understood the science and all the guys were like, I can't do desserts. And I'm like, so I'm actually, it served me way better in my career because I could go on both, I could be sweet and savory.
0: That is so interesting. So what you're saying is being the pastry chef in a kitchen, a professional kitchen, is a little like being an English major at Stanford. Yes, it is. I'm gonna use
2: that comparison definitely. Feel free.
0: Yes. (laughs) It's so interesting that and so gratifying that by performing an act of it's kind of an act of kindness. I find that feeding people makes me happy and it makes me feel bountiful and it's another way of giving something to someone. So in doing that as a rage baker, although I have to say Since there wasn't anything to pound in the chocolate cake, I did tell it to go to hell a few times. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> well, that reminds me the of there's That's the spirit. Yeah. There's a great recipe by Von Diaz. That recipe, excuse me, essay by Von Diaz about cake. I don't know if we can use the title yeah, of yeah, it. Yeah, you can. Yeah, it's, it's Fuck You Cake, P.S. Right. I Love You. <laughs> right. Um, and it really talks about women's um, love, hate, love, hate yeah. with desserts and sweets and how we struggle with body image and how we beat ourselves up and like all these voices um we're really part of how we relate to food, how we use food as a way of connecting, how we can use food as transformation. I mean, th- this is a place where women are super strong
0: and m- are much smarter than we know because yes. there's a lot to think about. And let's talk about body image for a second. I have a very vivid memory of working in an office years ago nearby a group of people who were all working on a communal project in publishing. And they celebrated everyone's birthday, and it was always so nice. And it was very nice to be near them, because if there were extra slices of cake, (laughs) we'd get them. But every time they would break out the dessert, they'd say, Oh, I'm going to be so bad. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm the worst. And that kind of self-loathing, is that really bad? I mean, bad is, is lying to someone. Bad is tripping someone on the stairs. Is eating a brownie so damn bad? No, it's not.
2: And, you know, but it's, we do this to ourselves. Yes,
0: and it's very entrenched, this thinking.
1: These value words that we put on ourselves because we're supposed to be a certain way and we're supposed to look a certain way. And one of the things about baking is, um, is the joy that it brings, first of all, in the act, the act of being rewarded with this transformative process of these ingredients. But as Catherine pointed out earlier, this sharing, and you just said, Lisa, that there is no greater thing for me than sitting at a table and sharing food with people that are important to me. I mean, it is the single most powerful act. And and in this time of divisiveness where this country is so severely, severely divided, you know, invite someone to sit at your table and you slice a piece of cake and you have something in common right then and right there. It's not about who are you voting for? How do you feel about this, this activism? How do you feel about that issue? It's about we're sharing a piece of cake right here, right now, and there's something so human and... Mm-hmm you know, timeless about that act, that it's a win-win. I am not saying you're going to suddenly understand your Trump-loving friends or for Republicans that they're going to understand why we're sad that Elizabeth Warren dropped out, but there will be something we can share.
0: That's true. It's a peace offering, too, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah. That's very true. One thing, though, is, oh, this is going to sound stupid, but It occurs to me that once upon a time when life was gentle and we actually could take time out of our lives to go to sleep and we didn't have to, the news ended at 1130 p.m. and then you were watching The Odd Couple and, you know, uh, didn't have a care in the world. Well, in those days, nobody was allergic to gluten. Nobody was allergic to dairy, I mean, yeah. w- can we somehow connect all these? Oh,
2: absolutely, absolutely. Okay, please, please well, I, I connect t- the dots okay. for me. Well, I will just tell you a, a brief story. One time, in in a very odd. Situation. I was actually on Fox News as a as, as a segment. Say, uh, yeah. me too. It yes was, it was yeah. one of the lower points in my life. Yeah, me too. Um, but I had very big hair that day. Oh, I, It was <laughs> yes, and I. The producer came in to me and asked me a question. There had been like. A, Snow in Arizona and the price of citrus was going to go up, you know, and he was like, the price of citrus is going to go up. It's going to be horrible. And I said, well, you know, actually, it's going to go up a little bit, but then it will be it'll go down and it will even out. And he actually looked at me and said, no, our job is to scare the American people. If we don't do that, we haven't done our job. (gasps) Well, they do it very well. And so this is the whole thing of like come from fear And scare the hell out of people. And so we've demonized our food. We've taken, you know, it's like... Too rich. Too gloom, like this. And like, yes, I am not denying the fact that we've messed with our food system in such a way. So people do have more reactions to wheat, etc. But... It shouldn't come from fear. It should. We can make those adjustments through care versus fear, and that's and being more mindful of what we eat. And so I we. I think do, that's
1: a great metaphor for a lot of things, Kathy. Exactly, yes.
2: exactly. It's like scaring people is it's it well it, it drives a lot of consumerism. Just be like, let's As, look at Perel. Yes, <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. Like, it's like now uh, selling for a hundred and fifty dollars a wipe. If we only. <laughs> <laughs> How about toilet
0: paper? Oh my God, you, know, you can't like, have really,
2: it! You, it's like really, we should have just uh, you know,
0: instead of the Bachelor, we could all fight over healthcare <laughs> and 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 uh, I don't know, yeah, some toilet paper. That, yeah, it's kind there, of you apt. there you go. There
1: you go.
0: Can I just tell you that I represent a small but but robust uh, section of American women who don't like. Peanut butter in cake. Well i cooking. I think I'm you met Kathy.
1: Oh. I'm on your team. Well, when I, I say I, I robust I mean butter and savory. I mean,
0: <laughs> when when I said robust I meant you and me. Uh, because we <laughs> seem to be I, I don't get it. I love I peanut know. butter I, uh and jelly. I like peanut butter. Well, that's really Pin, yeah. I, Dan I, I Dan like noodles. peanuts, yeah, yeah, in cold love sesame it. noodles. Sake sauce, I yes. love it. Yes, okay. Also, yes. so also I have to tell you, fruit and chocolate to me. I know <laughs> now. This is a smaller interest group. <laughs> I may be the only person in it.
1: You I don't d- want a chocolate dip strawberry?
0: Oh, Ew, get it away from me!
1: <laughs> Ew, <laughs> no, <laughs> get it away. Can I just? Can I say something about the peanut butter? Yes, the say anything you want. And also, it, don't even stick to
0: a subject. I certainly am not. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I, there's a wonderful recipe. Probably one of my favorites for a tahini chocolate chip cookie That's with the, coarse sea salt on the top. That and the tahini a, does what the peanut butter normally does, but it's so much more pleasing to me. And people have been sending us pictures of their cookies and... It's got the crunch of the chocolate chips, but it's got the rich smoothness of tahini, which is ground sesame seeds, of course, and then coarse sea salt on top. It is a winner. It's a,
2: it's an unbelievably addictive cookie.
0: I want to say that from the people I know who are rage baking... That cookie recipe, I would say, is one of the stars of your book.
2: Absolutely. People are loving it, loving it. And they love it because it's both familiar and then it has some sort of like, this is new and it's new and improved. And it's Kathy did a fantastic job with that recipe.
0: Well, good for you. And also, I want to say, I'm also another part, another group I'm a member of, and maybe the president, is putting salt on everything. <laughs> <laughs> salt on
2: anything. I'm anything. <laughs> I'm part of that committee as well.
0: And the salt on chocolate, which I can trace back to a company called Vosge. Oh, yes. Vosge mm-hmm, Chocolate. Sure. I, yep. And that was the first time maybe 10, 15 years ago that I heard of sea salt on chocolate. But... Now it's a known thing it's, and it's, it's a,
2: delicious. It, it brings all those notes together and it's just sort of like wow, just pops in your mouth.
0: Yeah, I'm dating salt now. Mm. Um, yeah. Well, Kathy and Catherine, I could talk to you about everything. I mean, not just baking and women's rights and anger and cooking and Sarah Gideon. But I could talk to you about literally everything, but it's time for your five things. Yes. And the more that I do this show, the more I realize that people, our listeners, love those five things so much. At one point, I thought, oh, we'll just do it an interview show, but no, we can't do that. So I think we should do it responsibly. <laughs> That's the right word, right? And responsibly, responsibly, <laughs> and like a hymnal. And we'll do (laughs) Catherine, since you're here in the studio, you'll do your one, then Kathy will do her one, and so on. Okay? So these are the 10 things that (laughs) make the authors of Rage Baking life better, starting with Catherine Alford, number one.
2: Okay, my number one is being in, on, or by the water. So I was lucky enough to grow up on Cape Cod in the summers, and that just that rhythm of being by the sea really makes a difference. And also, I just love swimming. And the bond actually between Kathy and I of how we met each other was a crazy thing of swimming across the Hudson River. And so oh, we you too, oh us too, like we've done that like five <laughs> no. or six times. Oh, I've never done that. It's That's kind of it's amazing. It's like being in that. Um, That's living on the edge. Well, it's like living in a Hudson River <laughs> school painting. It's really magical. Oh, so everything about the water um, I, is very important to me. So in New York City, I just make sure I get to the water and walk by the Hudson River as often as I can.
0: Cool, Kathy Gunz number one.
1: Mine is a little Hallmark, cardi, but mine is about family. I have two grown daughters, and trusting that love in these crazy times and knowing that no matter what happens, despite our busy lives, despite that we live in different parts of the country, their love keeps me afloat.
0: I I get it, and I feel the same way about my family, too. Number two, Catherine.
2: Yes. um, Well, I am a Quaker. uh, A friend is with a big F. Right. Um, And the practice of that is meeting for worship, which is we meet in silence. And so a group of strangers or communities will just sit in silence. It's kind of old-fashioned American-style meditation. Um, And I find it incredibly grounding. And when things are really crazy, just sitting in silence with a bunch of people is is really kind of um magical for me i totally
0: i totally get that uh number two kathy
1: well katherine is a friend and a quaker but she's also a good friend and my number two has to deal has to do with friendship um which is something that takes hard work i think it's something people forget about to maintain friendships over the years the days the decades for me has taken work Um, but I feel that these deep friendships, some of which I've had for many decades, heal me in very deep ways. And and as we go through more conflict and as we age, kind of the ability to distinguish between those that are fair-weather friends and the ones that I know will stay with me forever becomes easier, not harder.
0: Yes, and the ones, they're people that especially, it's so misleading with social media, you know, intimate things about somebody that you hardly know. And I know all Mm -hmm. about their vacation, when their dog died. Yeah, all Mm -hmm. of it. And then I feel (laughs) kind of ashamed for knowing that and they're not being somebody I call on the phone. Absolutely. Yeah, it's
1: weird. It is weird. So voyeuristic. Social media has it's social media is so unsocial.
0: It's it's the devil. I think it is. And you know what? Zuckerberg is Satan. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? Cheryl's no better. I get you. I get you. I feel betrayed by her.
2: I understand exactly what you mean. Thank you. Number three. <laughs> Okay, so number three is cooking with and for friends, which is sort of a extension of what Kathy was saying. Mm-hmm. And like this is, I mean, this is kind of another practice. Like I, I love having people over to my house, whether it's four or forty. Um, every year at Christmas, we have over forty five people to our house for dinner, and Christmas Eve, and I cook it, and wow. it's something that um, she's amazing. <laughs> I love doing it, and it's like, um, but I also like you know, when this crazy time when no one's going out, like come over to my house for dinner. Um, when? Um, tomorrow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like like the whole, it's it's just, it's, it's just makes me really happy. I, I don't look at it as a chore. I mean, I know some people hate, it's like they feel like it's a performance and all of that. But I just, when I sit down at a table and I look around at the people that are there and they're enjoying food and they're talking, I just like, I always take a little moment of like, you know, this is what life is about. Yep. Yep. I'm humbled
0: by that. Kathy, number three. Uh, My third one, yeah, has to
1: do with the outdoors and nature. Um, My dad was a jock and he was a big tennis player. And when I grew up, one of the ridiculous ways that I chose to rebel was to hate exercise and hate movement because, because I was stupid, um, but as I have grown, <laughs> you um, I, you I, now under- <laughs> I know what a silly thing to rebel against though, but I have um, increasingly understood how important moving my body is and whether it's swimming or hiking or taking long walks. I really love the way that my mind shifts out of the minutia and the anxiety and the tensions of everything that's happening, which increases by the minute these days. Mm -hmm. And when I ask my body to do hard work, it takes over for my mind in a way that I am deeply grateful for.
0: I understand. And I think even long walks in New York are very...
2: Very restorative. Very restorative. Um, Absolutely. Number four, Catherine. Okay, this is one of my favorites and really important for everyone to do right now is I love to go to Chinatown. Mm -hmm. I love to travel. And sometimes, you know, I'm here in town and I can't get away. And I want to have a feeling of... Being away and going to Chinatown and not, you know, like, I don't read Chinese, so I don't understand the signs. I love that not knowing of being being, in that of, being a little bit of an outsider. Yeah, I love that feeling because it, it informs me of how... Other people move through the world. I love the markets. I love the, you know, the the energy, the whole difference of it. And I can do that and be away and here at the same time. Um, and it makes me it, it it just it's very restorative for me. It and it could be t- it could be Chinatown or any of the Latino markets in Queens. I mean, that idea of being putting yourself in another culture and absorbing that and taking that all in is very powerful to me. And it also supports immigrants. Yes. And it exactly. supports a culture that's been demonized. Right. Yes. Yes. And Very people good. should be going to Chinatown right now. It's, it's really, really, really scary what's happening um, in those communities with the fear and an inherent bias that's in that. Absolutely. I had Chinese food last night. Yeah.
0: Number four, Kathy.
1: Um, my number four, I think I've touched on a bit, but it really is about the act of cooking and baking, but also chopping and grating and smashing. And for me, you know, everybody's like, oh, you must have all this really cool equipment. You must have a food processor. You must have a sous vide machine. You must have this oh, yes, and that. And right. I actually, re- I do not have one of those. I do not like cooking with plastic, but that's another subject. Um, but I love the meditative Practice of chopping something and of getting it to the exact texture and that I want. And I love cooking and I love being in my kitchen and I now love baking. And um, as I touched on earlier, the sharing of that food that I've made, of sitting around a table with people I love or maybe like a lot or hope to like a lot <laughs> and sharing a still warm pie or a plate of mm. those tahini cookies with sea salt this is, this is one of life's great pleasures for me, and as people stay home more and as the fear of this virus and all the fears that are swirling around, don't forget to share food with people that you love, and whether you send it over to them or you feel healthy enough to invite them into your kitchen and at your table, this is a practice that can really heal your heart.
0: Well, why is it? Is it a koinky dink? I don't think so. That so many people are watching baking shows, especially the Great English one or British yes. one. Yes as great a self soothing. Yeah. It's very self
2: soothing, yes. Yeah.
0: And the and the they the, may they may be inspired to bake a
2: trifle or not. Right. But they still love that yeah they love to watch the you know transformation of these very simple ingredients into something that's kind of magical and inspiring
0: well i think about when i try to knit something which is another domestic art i do very poorly but i see a ball <laughs> of yarn and then i make it into something which would be right. part part of a scarf? That's my specialty, <laughs> a half scarf or a scarf. Well, so we have a, a lot in
1: common.
0: A scarf. <laughs> <A> scar. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kathy, I when have... when I see it turn into kind of something resembling a uh, material, I think, mm-hmm. oh, I made material. Yes, <laughs> right, right before I. Unraveling. Uh, yeah, the exactly. other thing I think oh. about
1: the Great British Bake Off, not to get stuck on that, is that unlike many American television shows, those contestants treat each other with such kindness and camaraderie. And I have to believe that's part of the appeal too oh Rather absolutely than I,
0: I think that's what everybody talks about first is that it's not mean-spirited and it's not a co- not it's, at
1: all it, they're, they're rooting so for one another to each other. Yes. when someone screws up, they all gather around and help. It's like of course there are lessons to be learned watching those British people bake
0: well, and why do we think we got to where we are in America right now? Because of that nasty competitive reality That's TV.
2: Absolutely. Hosted by nasty. Yes. To he who cannot be named. Right. Right.
0: But I, I mean, mean uh, yeah, that whole thinking that if you, that if you yeah. sabotage your rivals... You win. Right. Well, Doesn't the, matter how you win, right? Or and You, you got to win them. You have to win, 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 win. There's Hashtag winners.
2: win. Hashtag win. There's winners and losers, and we're certainly seeing a, who the losers yeah. are right now. We
1: are exactly. That's we're the losers. Statement. Yes. I mean, if you if you tell if you're trying to tell people that if you hate hard enough, you can go to the very top. That is a very toxic, dangerous message. Yes.
0: I couldn't agree more. If you wake up every day in your golden room with your gold toilet and are rage-tweeting
2: frantically, (laughs) there's something wrong with you. Well, and there's a difference between rage and hate. Yes. Rage is anger, and it's about... Uncontrolled, Well, it's also, it's like wanting to change something that's there hate is like very personal and negative oh well maybe he hate tweets yes I think he hate tweets not rage tweets no he hate tweets there's a lot of hate in that yeah like just yeah just Ooh, a lot, Ick. yeah. Okay, number five, Catherine. Okay, so number five is kind of a distillation of a couple things, which is it brings my water and that sense of that just community in New York City. So I love, love to go to this place called Spa Castle, which is out in Queens, and it's a Korean spa which has like the most unbelievable saunas and hot tubs and all of that, and it is where all of New York goes to relax old young you hear like there're 800 languages in New York and sometimes I feel like I'm hearing all 800 of them there oh, wow it's like and like little kids and old ladies and you know it's just it is such a celebration of the human body and everyone like all the men get in their blue outfits and all the women get in their pink outfits uh-huh. there's no ba- you know it's like so everyone becomes neutralized And you just, A, physically you are transformed through the heat, the water, et cetera. But I'm also, I also love it so much because it celebrates all of what I love about New York, which is the diversity and just, and the, and the, and just simply the human bodies in all their glory, fat, slim, big, small, old. It just is, it's just a really magical place for me. I've
0: heard about it and I am going to go there. It's, not not this week. Yeah. No, yeah. Not, not this week. Not but this week. it's
2: it's pretty it's it's pretty fantastic. Okay. I've cool. been there in like in the middle of December in the snow. Oh. In, in like outside in like the hot tubs and it's all steamy and wonderful. Oh, that sounds and, great. And you know when it's not it's not fancy pants, it's just really it's so human and so great. Cool, cool. And Kathy, you're number 5.
1: My number five, which maybe should have been my number one, has to do with the written word. As someone who has always written from the age of 10 in her little pink diary with the heart lock, um, I really believe deeply in the power of the written word. I believe in the truth, and I believe that telling stories about the human experience, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, is so capable of bringing people together and helping sort of illuminate this thing we call the human experience. And I find writing makes me feel so much less alone. And so I think the power of the written word has never been stronger.
0: And I do think that in the next few months, as we're sort of hunkering down, people may rediscover the pleasure of the printed word. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the high tech of it all has also gotten to us. And I mean, for me, it's personal. I'd rather read a book book. than something that flashes that I have an email or a news alert, because that takes you out of the experience Mm -hmm. and you're not immersed.
2: Yeah. You know, that that love, and when as Kathy was saying that, I mean, is what makes this book so unique and sort of non-traditional, is its recipes and community, and there's the written word. I mean, we have some amazing essays in here, a poem, like there's this incredible lemon cake that is just one of the most delicious lemon cakes you will ever have from a really talented, the best, <laughs> the best from El Simon. And she, when she wrote, she sent me the recipe and then she said, and I think I'll send you a poem. And I was like, what, huh I didn't quite <laughs> understand what that I was like. OK, whatever. We were very open to all the ways people wanted to express themselves. And she sent us this poem about her grandmother and the great migration from Mississippi to Detroit and the importance that food had for them. And you you, you can't read that poem and not be deeply, deeply moved. Well, I will look at that poem. I will admire the
0: recipe. Whether I can make it or not is another thing. I am thrilled to have talked to you. And Kathy and Catherine, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you, Lisa. This has been a real pleasure. A real pleasure, Lisa. Thank Thank you, thank you. you. Thank you.
0: And here are my top five of the week. Number one, Governor Andrew Cuomo, who is my governor, and Governor Gavin Newsom, the governor of California. We are lucky to have such compassionate, science-believing leaders in them. We're lucky too, because we have the two biggest populations. And as you know, New York is the epicenter of coronavirus. They cherish human lives over the chance to make more money. And I appreciate them so much. Number two, The Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security sends out a newsletter every afternoon, I think, which details the numbers as they change and the policies as they change worldwide for coronavirus. You can subscribe to it for free. Number three, my mother's team. My wonderful mother lives across town from me, but she is unable to travel, I mean, go outside and I'm unable to visit her lest I get her sick so her team of aides, who are with her 24 hours a day are fantastic and they really care and it makes me gives me peace of mind. Number four the singer Rufus Wainwright. I don't know him but I am a fan and he sings to us in his bathrobe his Quarantunes every day helps you pass the time. And number five The religious and meditation leaders who use Zoom to create community online, which makes us feel better. I tuned into a prayer service last weekend, and just watching the other participants online made me feel good and uplifted. And whether you're a believer or not, you can probably find some service that will make you feel good. You've been listening to Five Things That Make Life Better with me, Lisa Birnbach. My guests this week have been Kathy Gunst and Katherine Alford, authors of Rage Baking, The Transformative Power of flower Fury, and Women's Voices, a collection of recipes and conversations for our time, published by Simon & Schuster. You can follow on Instagram at RageBakers or at RageBakers.com, and I bet there'll be a second book. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is you listen, because every positive review brings a new listener. My blog is at lisabernbach.com, where you'll find links and photos to all the things in this program. And if Kathy and Catherine say it's okay, maybe we'll put a recipe. Okay, good. We'll we'll put a whole recipe for something. It may be a cookie on the website too. This podcast is produced in New York City by thefieldtv.com. My engineer is Kevin Watkins. My team is Spressa Arrucci, Michael Port, Boko Haft, and Sam Haft. Until next week, wipe your hands and act natural. Bye-bye.
2: That was Five Things with Lisa Bernbach. New episodes every
0: Friday, if she remembers.